Hello and welcome to the third edition of the ParentCast. I'm Natasha and I'm here with our regulars Amy and Mary and today we're joined by um, a PhD student in language acquisition, uh, Sam Green. Uh, Sam, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, hi, I'm Sam. Uh, I'm um, a PhD student at uh, University College London. Uh, I'm in the Department of Linguistics. My Research topic is uh, child language acquisition, um, specifically more uh, specifically focusing on how children learn uh, phonology, which is uh, speech sounds. And even more specifically than that, I'm, I'm interested in how children learn these from the language around them, and in particular the language directed towards them from their parents. I'm also father to a ten and a half month old boy occasionally doing some recordings of him and he's become my new guinea pig. I guess a great place to start, Sam. Um, sorry, Amy here and full of cold. Um, what's normal in terms of speech development? I think probably is what everyone wants to know. Yeah, sure. Um, well, there's quite a um, quite a, w- a wide range of, uh, of what normal is. These stages are pretty much, pretty much universal. So all babies speaking or learning all languages will go through most of these stages, but they might be at slightly different ages um, but usually at about six weeks old you'll see babies start to uh, to do cooing before that it's mostly what we call vegetative sounds where they do crying and maybe some gurgling um, but around about six weeks they start to do this kind of coo or goo where they have this kind of coo usually also hear um, other sounds of the um, a falsetto sound where they do this very high-pitched uh, squeal noise it's kind of a kind of noise and also this uh, a vocal fry, which is a uh, which my, one of my favourite ones. But my boy never really did it very much. It was this kind of uh, noise. Um, do these do the sounds mean anything, or is it just a case of those are the noises that they're testing out? Like when they make the squeaky noise, are they excited, or is it just? <laughs> I think they they they're just happening. That's just the the body kind of practicing uh, making making noises and sound. But I think sometimes the babies probably won't do them if they're by themselves they're more likely to do them when they're in the presence of other people so they might then you know it might be the start of some kind of communicative uh, intention my daughter's a year old and now i love listening to her in the morning as i slowly wake up she's just babbling away to her cuddly toys and kind of cooing away and things and you can hear there's much more intent of communication whereas from what i remember when she was little like little little it really was just a case of I'm hungry, I'm tired, and it was just noise to get our attention yeah. almost. That leads on to the next the next stage, really. So the the, the the start of the real communicative intention probably starts really around around babbling, which we usually see somewhere from four, six, maybe seven, eight months. You start off with a, a consonant with a with a vowel sound, so it's usually something like ba 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 or da da da. They might start. They might babble when you're not speaking and if you're speaking they kind of listen wait and then they might babble again when you finish talking the second part of babbling is, is uh, so they, they go from this kind of ba 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 or, or maybe they do da 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 to a more kind of ba ba da ba ga ba da ba so that's about for eight eight to ten months old i mean the, so these stages aren't they're not discrete they're not you know one doesn't always completely end and then another start they sort of they might overlap with each other the next stage usually is is, is the one word stage and this might not necessarily be mummy or daddy or doggy but sometimes they're the what we call templates my my boy started doing just a, a few weeks ago he started doing dead 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 <laughs> sounded upset sounded upsetting almost mine but, says um, die which i find quite yeah. aggressive yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
and, and uh, it might not be a word, but it's the start of, of words. Does that tend to come out of nowhere or do you tend to be able to track it from kind of noises they've made before? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it, usually, the, I mean, some, some studies have, have, have suggested that this links, links from babbling. There are certain, if you, if you look cross-linguistically, look at different languages and the productions of babble and, and, and early words, if one language has a lot of uh, words beginning with ba, for example, then you might find more babble uh, from some children in that, in that language uh, using ba more often. And then their early words obviously have more buzz in them, if that makes sense. A, 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 lot, a, lot, of, a lot of what they, what they produce uh, during babble even can be uh, taken from, from what they've heard, even, even in the womb. I mean, they're already kind of paying attention to what they're hearing from, from outside. They say you should play the music and that they recognise the mother's voice and stuff. So I guess yeah. it makes sense that they become aware of sound. Yeah, so they become... Yeah, they become aware of the of the of the ambient language definitely. Um, so uh, uh, going back to the very start again, if babies, um, newborns have been said by some people to cry even their cry melody been said to copy the the ambient language. So if you compare German German and French children, for example, um, I think you, if you record them between the age of about one and one and three days, um, you can hear differences in their cries. So a German baby might cry more like. Um, ah, ah, ah. Whereas a French baby might cry more like ah, ah, and that's to do with the um, the intonation and the stress, the stress in those languages. So German, like English, we have they have initial word initial stress, whereas French always has word final stress. So if you think of the baby's cry as being like a word, then that's how it comes out. So in French, people say oh. things like café, as opposed to in English, where we say café or caf, <laughs> and so have. Ah, for English and ah, for French. But these, I mean, that's a tentative suggestion, but it's, um, it, it's, it's an interesting observation. And then the, the related things as well. So again, French, Cantonese and Arabic babies, if you listen to them babbling, then French adults can tell which are the French baby babbles. So they're already babbling even within, within the parameters of, of the language that they're, that they're hearing. You wouldn't think that there was that much in it. You just think yeah. they're screaming at you. <laughs> yeah, one of the other really fascinating ones, uh, when it comes back to, back to playing music and reading while the babies are in, in utero, one study they read, got mothers to read a particular story a certain number of times, either each day or a week or something, in the final few weeks of pregnancy, and then they played words from that from that from that story to the babies, and the babies recognised the the particular words, or they or they recognised particular sentences uh, from that story, How so could... showing direct. Yeah. Obviously, it's too late for me now, but do you think, could you use that to soothe them at all? I mean, is that something we're missing out on? If you could kind of program your baby in the womb to find something comforting and then relay it afterwards, or do they just recognise it? Well, I'm, yeah. I'm not sure. I'm sure about how it, how it soothes them or not. So have got any pregnant listeners? <laughs> yeah. Get them to have a go. I don't, yeah. think it's ever, I don't think it's ever too late. When um, S was a baby, there was a song that I used to... Uh, hum to him to kind of calm him down and it always helped and and then for a good maybe 18 months to two years I didn't need to you know he was going up because he just turned three and I didn't need to and then a couple of weeks ago he threw this tantrum as they do at three and I just started humming it and his entire body just relaxed and it, it was like a miracle I was and I don't know if it's just that he associated that with you know, being seated when he was a baby, but That's it a, worked. What made you suddenly start humming it? 
I didn't know. I didn't know what to do at that stage because, you know, most of the times if he, if he throws a tantrum, I'm able to speak to him and just, you know, calm him. And he was having none of it that particular day. And I just literally didn't know what to do. I think I was trying to soothe myself. <laughs> I just started humming it. And he just relaxed. His whole body relaxed. His, you know, because he was laying on the floor and his, his legs just relaxed. And he just looked at me um, and he stopped crying and kind of sat up and just gave me a hug. And I thought, this is brilliant. <laughs> um, and it worked. So maybe it's not too late, Mary, to, to start just to finish off the stages yeah so leading up into this what the one word stage certainly some of the some of the early words or, or uh, productions by children are actually more to do with almost the intonation that they use and there's something i realized my my boy doing just recently is uh which is something i realize i do very often i say oh look at this yeah but, I, um, baby girl she does uh-oh but yeah. the exact same intonation she also goes "Adi." As in, like, yeah. well, we take it to mean, oh dear. You, yeah. you can see that she's, it's coming together for her now. Yeah, yeah, and so that's, that's the next bit as well. So they start to, they have these kind of their phrases, which they probably haven't worked out. You know, they don't know what oh dear mean together, but they have these chunks of, of meaningful sounds. And it might just be the intonation that's, that, that they find meaningful at first, and then they kind of drill down and work out what the individual sounds are after that. I was about to say, don't tell me that it's meaningless. That was no, what no, I thought no, her no, first no, word was. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. No, absolutely not. Not meaning No, they, 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 they mean something by it. It's just they, they, they haven't worked out exactly how it relates to everything else. Uh, so yeah, after the one word stage, surprisingly, is the two word stage. So you might have something like "mummy fall down." So if, if if the baby might have fallen over, or they might say something like "food's all gone," or they might say "food all gone." And then after that, it, it kind of it, it progresses much more much more quickly once you get to about two years old and you start to get you have about 50 words so where it sounds more like a tele, like an old-fashioned telegram where you say things like mummy want more um, or maybe daddy want more as well <laughs> in my case <laughs> if a child has fewer than 50 words in their repertoire by the age of around about two then that's when you start to think that they might have some problems with things like um the, the, uh, at that age they would be called they might be designated as a late, a late bloomer or a late talker, um, which could develop into into other difficulties. That segues really nicely, actually, to ask, so when should you be worried? What are the signs that perhaps you should be looking out for? Because I'm sure there's some listeners out there, unfortunately, who are wondering that. Yeah, sure. Um, sometimes parents can, can, can get a bit worried about them. They might say they're not making these particular sounds or they can't say this. Um, so sounds, particularly within, in English, so uh, the r sound, like in red, or the th sound, or the th sound, they're very difficult. Uh, and voice, voicing sounds as well, so sometimes they might say s instead of z, or z instead of s, depending on the position in the word. We call L vocalization, so they change things. So instead of saying apple, they might say apple, but that happens in adult language as well. I was going to um, say, that, that happens in EastEnders. Yeah, so this is, these, are, these are things to think about as well. You know, what, 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 what's the kind of language that the child is hearing from their parents and from their, from their peers as well? And there are other common things that, that happen in, uh, in, uh, in early productions. Um, so some sounds from the back of the mouth. So it sounds like um, cu. So uh, the word like cup might come out like sounding like tup or something like that. And that might, might continue for a long time. There are some problems or issues like that that, that are, might be more con concerning so if the child deletes consonants at the start of that word so if they instead of saying instead of saying cup they might say up 
Or if they do backing, so instead of saying top, they might say cop instead. But other than that, the, 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 some of the main things to look out for are uh, a lack of babble at, say, 12 months old, um, or, or, or a lack of, of intelligible um, effort by 18 to 24 months. So it might seem a bit late to people, but um, the, the other main thing there is not to, not to worry too much. Of course, if um, if anyone ever really has any worries about their, their their child's development, first thing they should really do is talk to their GP or their health visitor, and and they're they're, they're qualified enough to to then recommend either speech therapy or or perhaps some kind of group work aimed at motivating the child. Uh, yeah. So when S was a baby, he used to he was such a little noisemaker. He was constantly, not babbling, but making all the, like, gurgling sounds you mentioned. Yeah. Um, you know, and everyone used to say, oh, he's he's uh, he's going to be such a talker, he's going to be such a talker because he's, you know, already making all these sounds and he's already so young. Um, and then he said his first word, mama, when he was eight months old, I think. Um, and then he didn't speak. He didn't speak or say many other words at all until he was 19 months. And even then, it was very, very limited. So when he was about two years and two months, um, I actually had him, had him assessed because I was concerned. He could understand everything. His comprehension was amazing, but he he would not speak. So he'd, like, grunt or make sounds or point at things. Um, and, you know, he, I knew what he was saying. And I remember a teacher once saying to me, well, just ignoring ignore him until he says the word. And I was like, well, no, I can't can't do that because I know what he's saying he'll get there but I did have him um assessed and while I thought he only knew had like 20 words it turns out that um the speech therapist said to me that even if there's a word that you you know that's not the actual word so like he used to say bah for dog where if ever he saw a dog he said bah and she was like that's a word even if it's not dog he always says bah for dog or he'd say ah for a bus so if a bus, you know, went by, and I used to think maybe maybe it's me because maybe when he was in the car and we'd be driving around and I'd be like, oh, look, yes, ah, there's a bus. And so, <laughs> you know, he, he started calling a bus, ah, instead of bus. But, um, yeah, and so I was yeah. a bit concerned. And then we went on holiday um, and we were away and, and he hung out with my nieces a lot who were, you know, a fair bit older than him. And he just started speaking. It's like it's like it came out of nowhere, Um and now he just turned three, but everyone always, you know, makes comment to the fact that he, you know, speaks like he's way older than he's three. So it's almost like he played catch up. And I was just wondering if there was any, you know, thing that might have influenced him between the age of, you know, 19 months and sort of 26 months when he didn't say much at all. Yeah, I mean, these are um, these are things that people are people look at looking into now. So this is this is the area probably of what are termed late talkers or late late bloomers. Um, yeah. I mean, as I myself was a, a late bloomer, so I'm here to sh- as proof that uh, it doesn't necessarily mean much for talking later life, yeah. as I'm sure listeners will find out in the next few episodes. But I, I just chose, I didn't speak at all. My mum's even said that our, our little one's vocabulary now is probably better than mine was at about two. <laughs> I, I just <laughs> But, you know, I, I was an early walker, so at the same time I could kind of get to things so I think I probably just didn't bother I was just going to say I read a theory the other day this was a while ago actually um that apparently in the baby's brain there is a theory that suggests 
they basically have to prioritise either motor skills or verbal skills because they can't cope to do both at once. So you're either a walker or a talker. And then once you've mastered one or gotten to a stage that, you know, the baby thinks, okay, this is good now, it's almost like you then backtrack and start mastering the other one. And I'd say for baby girl, she crawled like six months on the dot. So everyone's like, oh, she's going to walk, she's going to walk, she's going to walk. And we're still just cruising around the furniture with a little bit of interest in the walking, but really not that much. But the communication is really starting to slot into place and she's kind of got five words now, probably. And you can see that is definitely where she's putting her efforts. So in terms of um, your little one, Natasha, is it possible that he kind of looked at the motor skills as the more important thing and Mary with her walking? Yeah, I've read about the walkers or talkers theory before. Um, I did use it to pacify myself because S uh, did crawl really early on so I think she crawled at about seven and a half months she was cruising at eight and a half and then he was walking at about ten and a half months so by his first birthday he was practically climbing three steps up a ladder and down a slide um so I and yeah but in terms of the language it didn't come until much later so I think that theory did work for him um so I never I never did the thing that the lady you mentioned did where you know, tried to encourage him with the words. I guess eventually they came. But um, I do think that might have also held him back slightly because I understood what he was saying. And so he thought, well, why yeah. bother? The, yeah. the one person I need to kind yeah. of have get it gets it. So. Yeah, well, it makes sense. But often they sort themselves out. How does it work for deaf children in this case then? Does language development, yeah. does it differ for deaf children? or The the, the stages are pretty much almost identical. Um so babies, deaf babies even babble. Uh, I mean, they babble vocally, um, similarly to, uh, to to hearing children. But they also babble with their hands. They have their hands up in front of them, and they they they, they will they they move they move their hands, and it's, they don't just move them in. Um, you know, they're not just gestural waves and things like that. They follow similar kind of manual phonology. So they, they follow the kind of the way that we the movement, the position, and the. Uh, the direction uh, of of adult sign languages. That's amazing, and, and that's usually from from seeing um, other other signing people uh, communicating. But they'll they'll also voc- babble vocally even if they can't hear themselves. But yeah, um, um, I did have a quick friend actually who was asking me a question earlier today, and I said I'd ask you. So her son turned three in February, um, and he wasn't speaking much, so she had him assessed and she's now started speech therapy and it's been about a month and he's doing he's doing really well he's starting to sound out a lot more words um but she was asking how do delays in speech as a toddler then affect language acquisition as an adult really good question so sometimes what happens sometimes is that they might end up with um specific language impairment which um which is something which is not related to cognitive impairments um so they might not be understood so they might say things like uh, she rides the horse instead of she rides the horse which they might say um uh, he eats he eats cookie instead of he ate a cookie um and then that might require a bit more language therapy speech therapy but i mean a, a key thing here is to be calm and take part in any treatment and be, be be part of the of the of the treatment as well. Do you think any of the um, you know we encourage our kids to do sing and sign and that kind of thing as they're growing up? Do you think any of that has an effect, or will people who and is there just like a natural thing where some people will be late 
bloom is and no matter how much how many times you spend like shaking your hands at them and you know singing along to nursery rhymes they're never going to necessarily develop faster yeah so some of this comes down to uh, nature and nurture so uh, there's a a certain kind of biological element to it there must be but also there's a there's there's probably a nurture thing as well i mean if you don't talk to a child at all then they won't pick up any language because they haven't heard anything but how much how much input how much input is is enough how much is required um the, some of the, the some of the more recent research done on it showed that there was no particular kind of advantage to vocal uh, children learning vocal language any earlier because of doing baby signing. Although lots of people that do the baby signing courses and, and, and sell the programs like to suggest that, but the, the the research said that one of the reasons that there's no definitive evidence showing that. The, the baby signing leads to earlier vocal development or less stress is because they, they neglect to take into account the kind of the um, the other effects of, of, of doing baby signing stuff. So having having more joint attention with your child, so so focusing on things together, more face time, so looking looking directly at each other, um, and 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 in general just being much more conscious of what your child is saying or trying to say or, 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 or suggesting so these are the, these seem to be the things that are really really key in in uh, in language development in general is actually just the making joint, joint attention so how you know fo- both focusing on something um listening paying paying attention enjoying each other's company i suppose uh, so it might not be to do with the, the, the signing itself it might be to, more to do with the process so your advice is just to talk to your child face to face. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. Just talk to your child. That's pretty much it. Um, I was going to ask the, on that note, in terms of yeah. the input, how does it vary for children who obviously are hearing multiple languages? Will that change their language output as well? Yeah, I mean, they're with 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 multi multilingual children. Um, so if if they're a bilingual child, then they're probably hearing, or if they're in a bilingual environment uh, like mine. For, in, for example, my partner is French, um, and she speaks only French to our boy, and I speak only English because that's what I can speak. So the race is uh, on as to which language he has his first yeah, right. word yeah, in. Then I assume. Yeah, the, and, the, and, the, and the first, the, the first, uh, his first word, whichever language it's in, that's the one he loves the most, and we've decided. So hopefully, it's English. Um, <laughs> so, so, so with him, he, he theoretically he gets fifty percent of the amount of English input as uh, a monolingual child uh, and 50% from his, his French. So he might be a little bit later. Uh, so bilingual or multilingual children, some children might hear three languages on a regular basis. They might um, they might be a little bit later, which uh, because, because they might be a little bit later because they get um, a little bit less input in each of the languages. But but there's nothing to say that, nothing to show that they are, uh, they, they show any long-term delay or any kind of dis- dis- disadvantage because of it. When in fact, they probably have more advantage in, more advantage in, in some ways. Uh, yeah, I wish I was bilingual. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me three. Me too. Four. <laughs> Is S not bilingual, Natasha? No, he's not bilingual. I, I really wanted him to be, uh, when he was a baby, we were living in um, Hong Kong, so I thought if there was any chance of him speaking another language, that would be it. Um, God, can you imagine if Chinese was your second language? You'd be set, wouldn't you? Yeah. Sorry. I was hoping. You just need to pick up Arabic. <laughs> <laughs> and then you just, yeah, you get any job you ever wanted. This is how to set your children up for life. Well, yeah, I still think I wanted to speak Mandarin with China being such a booming economy and all that. <laughs> mm. I think 
that just about wraps this up. Every week we do talk about our favourite product from the last week. So just to finish, Sam, would you like to join us and just fill us in on what you think your favourite product of the last week has been as a parent? Well, it's not necessarily my product, but my partner, she's been quickly over the last couple of weeks, she's got obsessed with the woven wraps, um, which are these massively long pieces of fabric which you wrap around yourself and you basically create a, create your own sling, I suppose, your own baby sling. Um, they're really quite, uh, I mean, you can buy them on eBay and anywhere. They're not particularly expensive, I don't think. And there's whole communities on Facebook and, and on YouTube uh, of, you know, how to do different slings and different carries. And they've all got their own very specific names for different ties and all this kind of stuff. Um, and I, I've not, I haven't tried it myself yet, but um, I can see that the boy is very comfortable in these, in these more so probably than some of the kind of more rigid carriers. Um, uh, he, he, he seems very kind of uh, much, much more ergonomic. He, he seems to be quite comfortable. And you can, you can quickly change from a, a back carry to a front carry to a side carry and all sorts of different weird and wonderful combinations. To just sporting a scarf. Yeah. It's a fashion yeah, item with wraps, you, wraps you up, keeps you warm. Uh, it's nice, and, you, and, and she, she's already bought. I think she bought four. I think she picked up the last one today. They're different, different lengths and different thicknesses, and it's become a bit of an obsession. Actually, I think I might have to keep an eye on it. Different colours to match her outfits. Uh, well, exactly. Yeah, she, <laughs> she, yeah, she really has. <laughs> oh, I quite want to get into it. I've got a cheats version, which is a sewn together fabric sling, um, and I don't quite yet have the confidence. I think to start chucking our little one into just a what is it essentially just a strip of fab <laughs> I, I, I did, maybe, I did maybe you can inspire me to give it a go <laughs> i did at first try to encourage her to try and do it on the bed rather than just kind of throwing him around uh near the sofa but uh, she, she's been very good so far natasha what about you in terms of your product not slings <laughs> yeah uh i'm going to actually go for a Oh my god, sorry. Give me a second, I just had two products and then my mind went blank when you actually asked me. Um, we can go to Mary. Yes, please. <laughs> Mary, come, what about you? Come to me. My sound keeps cutting out as well. Um, so I'm going to use a very uh, controversial one given our topic. Um, something I discovered this week was plonking uh, my baby in front of CBeebies. Um <laughs> Not not so much a product, um, but I guess it is a product from the BBC. Um, I'd noticed she kept she was checking out Kevin McLeod when I was watching at Grand Designs, and I thought I don't want that to develop into a crush. So I thought let's at least pretend it's educational. Um, I'm not pretend I'm not going to leave her there for long periods of time. But I thought it was quite interesting that she seems to interact with the TV in a similar way than to me. Um, it's so I'm scary. outsourcing my parenting <laughs> I, this week I've been the same I'm quite strict about how much TV my daughter watches I have to say but this week with the flu I was just like sit in front of CV- CBBS, please and now I'm just stuck with Mr Tumble's friendship song in my head on loop it's driving me mad but I agree I couldn't have survived without CBBS this week yeah. It's a crazy silence here. It was a bit scary, actually. I mean, we're rationing it, but when I just want to put my sho- shoes on on my own without carrying her under one arm, it's a it's a, a good a good little cheat product. I didn't realise she would like it so young as well, but um, 
Apparently so. So it's... there's a lifetime of watching Jeremy Carl ahead of her. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to go for a nap this week. I'm going to break the mould and I'm going for Twining's fennel tea bags, which is a bit random. I was very tempted to choose Lemsip, but that was for me. So I've gone for something for the baby instead. When baby girl was about five months, we found out she was lactose intolerant, which um, is quite common, apparently. But she hadn't had colic, but we did really struggle with wind. It was verging on colic um, from birth. And then we thought, oh, well, that's why. And then she started on solids and it just didn't get better. Um, So we... My parents kept going on and on about the fact that I used fennel water because I was a really, really colicky baby and couldn't find fennel water for love nor money. And we've tried Infocol, we've tried Detanox, we've tried everything under the sun that the pharmacy recommends. Nothing helped. And I found a blog one day that just said, couldn't find fennel water, so I gave her fennel tea instead. And I thought, oh, we'll try that then. And I can't recommend it enough. Just a couple of dunks of fennel tea in the bottle when you when the water's warm before you add the milk. Obviously, this is only for formula babies, I'm afraid. I suppose you could probably add it to breast milk that's been expressed. Or um, could you drink it, in fact? If you maybe. were drinking the fennel tea, would that work? Maybe. It's worth a try. Yeah, I know. Um, I'm just thinking I have... <laughs> our, our little one is incredibly gassy. Yeah. I, I didn't... I mean, the amount of air she manages to take in is insane. So it's painful, <laughs> isn't listening, it? And listening intent, intently. Well, anyway, last week, tea. baby girl had a vomiting bug. And so we ended up giving her the fennel tea again. And it sorted her out again because she wouldn't eat anything last week, which I understood. Um, but yeah, that really helped. So it's not just for colic. seemed to help with everything. Um, Natasha, have you re- remembered your... Product yet? Yes. So I'm not going to go for a product this week, but one to when he was um, a lot younger, and it's Sophie the giraffe. Oh, so, I love Sophie. Yeah, she she was brilliant initially. Um, before I got her, you know, we tried the teethers that you put in the fridge. Um, I think they were by Newbie. They never really worked for him, and they never really stayed cold. Maybe maybe because we were living in Asia, where it's so hot. You know, the, even the teethers couldn't stay cold. Um, then once we got Sophie, that was it. Sophie's legs, Sophie's head, like all of it. And it really helped. Uh, and with S, his teeth came out so quickly. Like, you know, he, he, didn't, he didn't do it in stages. They just literally, from maybe like six months to ten months, he had them popping out every week. And so Sophie the giraffe was amazing. And now he's all grown up and I see they have little, like, Sophie's little handles that like even younger babies can hold or like a comforter with Sophie's head at the top and none of that was around when he was a baby but just the good old giraffe was was brilliant we've got a Sophie as well and baby girl loves her but it's grown with her as well we think because of course she squeaks and when they're really little she wasn't strong enough to squeak her and now she can squeak her herself and she's so proud the little smile on her face that she can make Sophie squeak is just lovely. We've got the uh, a kind a kind gift from my uh, brother and uh, his fiance who gave us um, a Sophie. I think the junior one that you were talking about, Natasha, like a, it's like a handle with a little yeah. spinning Sophie inside it. She likes that. Although I don't think it has a very neat little strawberry bit that you're meant to chew on, but she just chews on most of it. Um, <laughs> just all goes in the mouth. As with everything, but... 
I think that just about wraps up episode three. Thank you so much for joining us, Sam. It's been really interesting talking to you. You're welcome. Um, Enjoyable. If our listeners have any further questions, um, pop them on the Facebook page. You can tweet us at the Parent Cast, and we'll pass the messages along. Or we might invite you back for a question and answer session if you're okay with that, Sam. Yes, please do. Great. Other than that, thank you guys so much for tuning in and join us next week. We'll be back. Bye. Hello? 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 Oh, come on. Hello? You couldn't hear us, could you? It was, I could hear like the first word and then you just went deaf. Yeah. Not deaf, as in muted. Yeah. <laughs> could you hear me? No, we couldn't, but I guess that might have been what it was. I'm just um, re-adding them. I heard you say, working! And then it went dead. Yeah. I was like, no! Oh, yeah. Hello? Oh my god! Yes! Yay! Okay, let me just add some. <laughs> I have everything crossed. Hello? 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 Sam? Hello? Yes! <laughs> oh my god, yes. Harry? I don't believe this. Harry? Oh, there. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Paul's okay. trying to play computer games in the background and yeah. was asking whether that was going to be quiet enough. We have decided yes. <laughs> um, cool. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for persevering, Mary. Bloody hell. Yeah. Thank you guys for waiting. <laughs> um, and it's recording, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, it's recorded every other time, and I have a little red dot in the side, which is what the app tells me means it's recording. And it's worked okay. for the past hour when I kept disappearing. Okay, and So, fingers this crossed. Is late, this is the late night edition. Which I find quite yeah. aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.